You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I didn't know Sherlock Holmes wasn't an android until high school. And I'm Ari, and I'm going to slap Jean-Luc if he speaks to Beverly that way again. And today we'll be reviewing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes Lonely Among Us and Justice. So I'm doing NaNoWriMo again. Yeah. Um, Yeah. God, it's been forever since I did NaNo. When is the last time you did it? Maybe 2012? That seems about right in my head. For those who don't know, Ari and I met... Uh, doing NaNoWriMo in like 2007. That's forever ago. <laughs> the last NaNo I did, I think was in 2012, because that's when Netflix got all of Star Trek. And that's when I started my Chrono Trek blog. And I ended yeah. up not finishing that year and just using all the write-ins to write my reviews instead. Yeah, you remember that. You were sitting there working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically can remember the Starbucks we were in and everything. Um, <laughs> this is my first time actually trying to do it, like actually sitting down, nose to the grindstone. I'm going to do this since about 2013 myself. Um, and it's a concept I've been working on for a while, and I'm trying fantasy for the first time. Nice. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah, we did our first write-in this morning, and I got 1,300 words in, so I'm doing okay. I'm 1,300 or 50,000 to go. For I guess for people who don't know, National Novel Writing Month is a challenge to write a novel in a month um, and to make it even for everybody. The the definition of a novel is 50,000 words. Um, People often ask what's books that are 50,000 words and Animal Farm and Fight Club and a bunch like that. That's about the range of a 50,000 word book. Um, I've been a winner like five or six times. Does that sound right to you? I think uh, so. I I don't know. I don't keep track. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I just I don't know, you know your life about me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, um, I think I won either two or three times. There was one time where I ended the story at like forty thousand words and was like, uh, I don't. But wanna. the story was done, so we counted it a win. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I, I got the story done. Let's, I, I don't want to keep writing. We'll, we'll just What's call the it point good. of adding ten thousand words to a story that's finished? Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's a fun thing. It's I mean, I do have a couple published books, but the for me, it's usually about fun and it's about doing stuff with friends. And I've lost two people that were regular people that did it with me. And something about losing them has really motivated me to keep going because I'm still here and I can keep writing. So. Mm-hmm. That's one of my reasons that I'm doing it this year for Danielle. So, um, yeah, and she was a huge Next Generation fan. She was huge. And I I was just thinking about how she won't get to hear our podcast, but that it's so nice to, like, know that I'm doing something and watching something that Danielle loved as well. Not only was she a huge Next Generation fan, she was also personal friends with Will Wheaton. And his wife. Yeah, they were they were friends. They met at a con and they ended up becoming like online buddy friends. And it's so cool. Now we get to talk about Lonely Among Us, which is the seventh episode of Next Generation season one. And it is teleplay is by DC Fontana. The story is by Michael Halperin and directed by Cliff Bull. While transporting delegates, an alien life form wreaks havoc on the Enterprise computer and begins to take over the minds of her crew. They were all in dresses. They were all in dresses. (laughs) I know. That is the dress uniform. So that is what they wear for formal functions like diplomatic stuff and it's all dresses i know i loved it it looks less like a dress when they wear it with pants i will say that because it looks oh, yeah, more like for a sure. jacket but yeah i was at first i was like "Ooh, riker in a dress i was like "Ooh, books in a dress 
<laughs> so I was pretty yep. excited about that. Um, that is their formal wear. I loved the reference to my man Argyle because that you don't see him, but they say his name. Yeah, and it was uh, what was it? Singh was the uh, the the engineer that episode, and I think yes. they called him a uh, like assistant chief engineer because I, I I assume it was they originally wanted Argyle in this episode, but like they couldn't get the actress, so they're like, all right, we'll just cast somebody else, call him assistant chief. Yeah. Uh, doesn't matter. Argyle's never coming back. Um, <laughs> and like it's, yeah, like we talked about last episode, the, they cycle through uh, chief engineers up until season two when Jordy gets the job permanently. Can we talk about Parliament? Parliament. <laughs> the planet Parliament. It's very on the nose, isn't it? Well, and why does Jean-Luc pronounce it Parliament? Why? <laughs> I have never heard a person re- pronounce it Parliament. And well, um, he's British. I, they it, they don't know how, how to say people words. Say it because I don't think I've heard British people say Parliament. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm going to piss off the UK uh, listeners here, but y'all throw R's at the end of words that don't have them, so I don't trust your pronunciation on anything. That's true. I have a British friend. My legal name is Renda, and Pete and I have a British friend that calls me Render, and it drives me nuts. But obviously, Arya is my nickname, so I've asked her to start calling me that. Well, if she calls you it enough times, uh, I don't know. Maybe you'll have a nice three D image of yourself because that'll <laughs> I be can a render. render myself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> The main plot with the uh, the alien energy being, and then the subplot with the delegates seem like they're almost completely disconnected there's like no yes was the two alien guys the two rival people maybe that was supposed to be an episode but they couldn't get enough information to do a whole episode or like enough ideas to do a whole episode so they were like let's just shove it as a subplot to this other episode um dc fontana who wrote this episode um she also wrote the original series yes that that it's sci-fi. If they've got two initials as their first name, it's a Good woman. Good point. Yeah. I mean, that's why, why do you think it's J.K. Rowling? DC Fontana, I think Dorothy is her uh, first name. She wrote the um, original series episode, Journey to Babel, which was about transporting a bunch of Federation delegates to uh, to a conference. And I think that was the first episode with the Andorians, the blue guys with the antenna. Mm-hmm. Um. And so because she wrote that episode and she was like writing this one, she decided, well, why don't I, I just add another subplot about transporting uh, uh, delegates or something. Um, the design of the delegates is very unique in Star Trek. You don't typically see full masks like that. Um, On both of them, too, not just one of them. Yeah, it was like it was like a Halloween mask that you just pull over the whole thing. Like they don't typically design that. They're usually designed in pieces uh with like real skin showing at certain points because you get better um emotive flexibility there or mm-hmm. they just or it's just forehead because your forehead doesn't t- tends to move that much, so it's a really good spot to put stuff that'll stay put and it doesn't need to emote. Like I, I like what they were going for. The execution of it is uh, these are th- th- these are Halloween party masks. I came out of the episode wanting to cosplay an Antican just because it would be so easy because it was so crappy looking. It would be so easy <laughs> to like. I was like, I could go to a star. I'm ready to go to my first Star Trek convention. I'm going to cosplay as that. I'm just going to like hot glue some patches of fur to my face and be ready to go. You know, it was pretty bad. So the Sele, the, the 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 snake dudes, I think they had originally cast the those masks in like this really hard, heavy rubber that was basically 
completely unwieldy. You could barely keep your head up. Michael Westmore, the main makeup guy, I think he recast two of them in a lighter foam. But you saw they had like five dudes there. And so they only had two of the light ones. So they gave those to, you know, the guys who would actually have speaking roles. And right. then the, the, the other ones in, that would be like further back in frame were wearing the heavy ones. And you can see when they're stepping off the transporter pad and heading out into the hallway, how like the guys in behind are looking basically straight down at the floor <laughs> because the masks are so heavy, it's just pulling their head down. It reminds me of the vampires in, in Buffy because there would be the background vampires that would have like the whole vampire face on the whole episode because they never had to talk, but they uh -huh. had to design different vampire prosthetics for the ones that had speaking roles. So it, yeah. it's kind of like that, but... Um, well, that's a so, common thing in in um uh just uh Hollywood is uh, I think you you got uh, like uh, background versus hero designations like mm -hmm. uh, or you might even have different versions of a prop. You'll have a hero prop, which is the one that the the main the, the main character will be using, and then you'll just have uh, a background one, one of the extras who's never going to be close up on screen is holding that's actually just like. Okay, we carved this thing out of foam brick in five minutes. Don't look too closely at it. So this episode um, brought up something that, for me, I thought was really cool. Um, all of their meat is not dead animals. Um, I happen to be a vegetarian my whole life. So I was like, oh, it's awesome. In the future, everybody eats, like, replicator food. So basically, in the future, everybody eats Impossible, right? Actually, it's a little bit different than that, because the Impossible Burger... It's made out of plant and it's designed to simulate meat. But what right. the replicator does is more like lab grown meat. It's actually mm. meat. It's just not from an animal. Interesting. Well, that's a future I can get behind. <laughs> yeah. No, this the 24th century. Humanity is vegan. <laughs> I love it. I think yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, I'm for it. So have you ever seen the movie Fallen? Yes. With the Denzel with Washington and John Goodman. Yeah. yeah. So do you That's, know why I'm bringing that up? <laughs> because the for people who have not seen the movie Fallen, it's about a demon serial killer who hops from body to body. Mm -hmm. um, which is also not the first time this has happened in Star Trek. There was an episode in the original series, uh, an episode called Wolf in the Fold, in which there was a malevolent alien force that was jumping from body to body. And I think it had used Scotty to kill a couple people. Mm. Uh, or something like that but then we find out like it has gone through many names throughout the years and it turned out it was also jack the ripper jack the ripper was an alien uh malevolent oh. serial killer entity How that was doctor who very doctor <laughs> who yeah because I, I always tell people when they sit down to watch doctor who i was like so it's scooby-doo except mm -hmm. for instead of everything is those meddling kids or everybody everything is an adult in a costume it's an alien it's always an alien <laughs> I, I would say for this episode the alien itself wasn't necessarily malevolent in intent i didn't like, think so either but the framing of it was a little weird like obviously it got stuck on the enterprise by accident and was desperate to try and figure out a way to communicate with other people and get itself home but then it was also like, ah, ha, ha, I have taken over the captain and we're going there together. We have joined. And it's very clear, like, no, I don't think Picard's OK with this. I don't think he's on board. Yeah, especially with the way that I don't know. Yeah, it definitely felt like he wasn't on board. And it, so it went from being kind of benign, 
Like, even mm-hmm. when it was in Beverly, it was like checking up on Wesley and his homework. And I was like, that's weird for Wesley. And like for all the characters, really, like he it jumps and it jumps and it jumps, but it doesn't seem to do anything malevolent. It's just trying to find the information. But then it gets to Jean-Luc and it's like, I'm taking your captain. Goodbye. <laughs> it was weird. Space, baby. Yeah, I know. It was weird. <laughs> I would have was- preferred something where they just maybe spend a... Uh- Instead of having the, the 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 like the final two acts of them dealing with the hostage situation with Picard, maybe have the mystery go on a little further, where they're assuming there's a malevolent force, but then they find out no, he was just lost and he was just trying to get home. And of course, they're willing to get him home because they didn't mean to take him, and it's a sentient being. Um, right. You'll see other things in Star Trek that's very much like that. It's you know, it's about oh, it's just a life form that we didn't understand. And we learned how to understand them, and neither of us meant to harm the other, and we're just we're working it out. And uh, uh, but yeah, it was weird. Just I, I didn't like that they they wrote it so that he was holding Picard hostage. It didn't seem to gel with the story that he was telling about his intent. Otherwise, and so in the end, they ended up basically replicating him, right? From because they brought yeah. him back from a from. So this brings up that whole question of are people immortal in Star Trek and why aren't they? Because can't you just make a backup copy that you can replicate? So the transporter buffer, I think it's basically far future RAM uh, because a a person's um, molecular pattern is so complex. I don't think it's data that the ship's computer has the capacity to actually store permanently. Um, so like okay. you couldn't, you couldn't have like a permanent transporter backup of a person and bring them back if they ever die, because the, the data requirement for that would be prohibitive. But even so, there are instances, the transporter has all sorts of fun and bizarre effects. There, there, there's a lot of good uh, story opportunities for, for uh, transporter malfunctions and stuff like that. So there's a there's a Philip K. Dick book called Ubik. It's my favorite Philip K. Dick book. And he, in, in Ubik, when you die, you go into this like pod and your essence is kind of stored in there until it's used up. And the more time that people, because t- your family can come and like talk to you in your uh-huh. canister or whatever. And, but eventually it'll use up the energy that you have left. And it kind of reminded me of that when they were like, well, let's pull this version of Picard that didn't go to the planet or didn't go off into where no one has gone before, I believe is what they said. (laughs) Um, And let's pull him in and let's make a new one. So was, so does that mean that Jean-Luc Picard died or is still in that nebulous cloud with the, the possession demon that I, do they ever name the alien? I don't think they do. I don't think they gave it a name, but that's a very interesting question. That's, I mean, that, that is a philosophical question that Trekkies debate all the time. Does the transporter kill you? Because, uh, from one perspective, you cease to exist and then an exact duplicate of you is built somewhere else. So that version Mm -hmm. of you dies, but the person that rematerializes would still like the, the, the question is, does continuity of consciousness is that a requirement for someone not to die because if continuity of consciousness is a requirement we die every time we go to sleep right and then did they choose not to tell him that seemed to be what was happening there at the end of the episode they weren't going to tell him he beamed out into that nebulous cloud with the other 
um, being. That's not how I read it. I think it was just, um, you're safe now or something. The way that they did that kind of bugs me because they beamed him back and he had no memory of going out there because they rematerialized him from the pattern buffer. So it was, they had like a saved brain state of when he beamed out. So he wouldn't have had any of the memories out there. But if that's the case, why did they need the energy that used to be Picard specifically? Mm -hmm. Couldn't they have taken any energy and rematerialized it into a copy of Picard? Uh Uh-huh. I know <laughs> these, there was a bunch of questions that came up from that for me. And are there any repercussions? Are there any repercussions for making a second John Luke? Cause what if John Luke is still existing oh. out there? Like, you, you have just asked a question that will be answered not about Picard, but you'll see it in like uh, season six. And I'm not going to tell you anything more than that, but you have okay. asked a very good question. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Um, yes. So this is a less serious question. Can I punch Sherlock Data in the face? <laughs> oh, so we're going to fight. <laughs> we're going to fight so hard. I love how much he hams it up as Sherlock. It was so hammy, though. My God, I don't usually dislike Data. Let me make that clear. I'm not one of these mm-hmm. people that dislikes Data. I find Data to be a character I don't dislike or like. Like, he's just kind of there so far. Um, Obviously, Beverly, Jean-Luc, and Wesley are the three, and Tasha are the four that have really, like, made me care about them. Uh-huh. Um, but man, this was the first time I found him insufferable. I just could not stand it. I was like, I thought it was hilarious. I loved how he did. got so into character that he would forget decorum and like kind of say <laughs> insulting Sherlock style things to people. Like he was okay. so into character that he forgot was his rank and was like, he was just like, it's elementary. Up, uh, sir. <laughs> Indubitably. <laughs> okay. When he called Tasha question. my good woman, I was just like, "Ooh, di- are you sure that's I the? Know. W- <laughs> are you sure I that's know. where you want to go with this one, dude?" Yeah. So this is kind of an aside, but it was a thought I had while watching this episode. If we were going to recast a reboot of the Next Generation, who uh-huh. would you cast as Beverly? Ooh. Because I have question. an idea of who I think would make a really good Beverly. Okay, let's hear it. So I I don't know the actress's name, but okay. she played Jenny Lynn in The Greatest Showman, and she's the mom, Jessica, in The New Dune. Do you know who I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yes. Okay. I think she'd make an amazing up. Beverly Crusher. I think she'd be great. Um, I just, her face and the way she acts. and Rebecca Rod- Ferguson. Yes, her. She's so good. Um, And in Dune, which I'm only halfway through because I watch things in pieces. But um, I was watching the episode and I guess maybe Dune was on my mind. And I was like, man, I think she'd make a good one. Because my first thought was Nicole Kidman. But Uh Nicole Kidman's, I think, a little too old at this point to play Dr. Crusher. I would. I mean, I I almost. How old is Rebecca Ferguson? I feel like she's in her late 30s is my guess. She's 38, so you're correct. Yeah, okay. yeah that, would, that would be a... Uh... Old enough to have a teenage boy. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't have gone there. I don't know who I would have cast. The first thing that went to mind when you're like, if you were to recast like a new TNG, my first thought was, oh, are you going to ask who I'm going to cast as Data? Because it's Tom Hiddleston. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, it's Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> when the first Thor came out, uh, I went and saw it with my family, and we all walked out of there, and I just looked at my mom, and we're like, so he's Data, right? Yeah, he he's is. He's gonna be Data, right? Because <laughs> he just looks, uh, he, he's got, especially, like, season one Data, he's just got that that live, before before Brent Spiner packed on a couple pounds, just that, that very <laughs> angular, sharp nose, 
look to him. It's like, oh, yeah, he would be a good data. Uh, circling back to the uh, the Antikins, um, the uh, the main Antikin, uh, he was uh, played uncredited by Mark Alimo, who you don't know yet, but you will, because he plays <laughs> Gold Ducat on uh, the Deep Space Nine, and he is like the villain. Oh, well, that does bring up a question that I meant to ask. Are they going to censure the Antikins? Like, they kind of did this whole, oh, ha, 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 they ate one of the Sele or whatever they are, and then didn't even, like, they ate one of the delegates. Like, what the f- That ending is so tone deaf. Yeah, especially after the we don't even kill animals anymore. (laughs) Well, and it's like, oh, yeah, we're bringing these two peoples are, you know, uh, uh, trying to get into the federation we're bringing on this planet for discourse oh one of them ate the other oh what a day it's like it, it the oh, having uh, that I'm be the go re- i'm gonna go retire to my quarters <laughs> if they had uh, written this scene for the original series it would have ended with kirk and mccoy and spock sharing like looks at each other and then uhura would laugh and then everyone would laugh and the episode would end with them laughing about one of the ambassadors having eaten the other one but <laughs> yeah, it's, it it's very tone deaf it's murder and like they've been trying to murder each other the whole episode and then one of them does and tries to eat them it was weird <laughs> yeah like maybe maybe don't treat murder so lightly also I kind of felt it was really weird how or, uh, Assistant Chief Engineer Singh died. Like the next, like the very next scene is they're in engineering looking over the stuff, and there's Wesley who had just been like studying with him like an hour before, and he's just like, "Oh, he did this and this and that." And I'm just like, "No, that's not how a 15 year old is going to react <laughs> to his friend having just been murdered." Yeah, no, that's he's gonna true. be shooken up about it. Like I can understand hardened Starfleet officers being used to seeing people die in the line of duty to some degree and being able to compartmentalize that and be like, okay, there's time to mourn him, but we've got a, we've got a potential murder on the ship. Let's focus. But Wesley should have been a little bit more emotional, a little bit more emotive about that. Yeah, I agree. It was weird. Oh, but we did get a couple seconds of everyone's favorite Irish asshole guy. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. O'Brien. He's actually not even called O'Brien until like season two. I don't think they give him a name. Is he just like a background character guy? Like doesn't really have a name or recurring extra, basically. To Um, me, he's one of the most famous people in the show, though, because coming to it from a non Star Trek perspective, I watched that tom cruise movie over and over and over again as a child i don't know uh-huh. why but i loved that movie what into the west no that's not it you know which one i'm talking about though with nicole kidman and the first they're in ireland and then they come here to america and then they oh, do yeah. the land race and when he gets here to america o'brien is the main irish guy that's trying to use tom cruise's character to like be a boxer so he keeps taking all his money cuz he doesn't want him to go out west like they had planned and that's how far and away of, far and far, away that's far what and it away. was yeah. <laughs> and so for me he was super famous cuz he was in the super famous movie i watched all the time as a kid and so for me o'brien's one of the most famous actors in the show <laughs> He's so he's a character weird. actor. He and he usually plays like like criminal Irish assholes, but yeah. uh in Star Trek he's just he's kind of just like the just the everyman. He's like kind of just the dude who ended up in Starfleet. Um 
but he we don't really see that development until later. But uh, I I really like O'Brien. He's he's one of the better characters in Star Trek, and um, That's it's cool. fun. To I'm see. looking forward to getting to know him better. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's not even like uh, um, in engineering or anything like that. He's uh, I think he's a security guard at this point because he was escorting one of the ambassadors and had to like hold was, them off to yeah. fight each other. But I think uh, later in the series, they settle on him being the transporter chief. Oh, that's him. yeah okay. Because there's like um, there's there's like a fan uh, web comic called uh, O'Brien at Work. Which is about the mundanity of standing at the transporter station, uh, waiting for people to need to be transported. <laughs> yeah, like eight hours a day. Because, like, you know, sure they they beam maybe once or twice an episode, but the episodes take place over like you know maybe uh, a couple days or a week. And O'Brien's just sitting there. I think there was like one of the issues where he just keeps like paging people, asking if they need anything beamed anywhere. And so he's like, I was just going to the to the mess hall and they're like well i can beam you it's like i'm just gonna walk oh okay <laughs> <laughs> oh sad o'brien the next episode that we're going to talk about is justice it's the eighth episode of the first season first aired 9th of november 1987 teleplay by Worley thorne story by ralph willis and Worley thorne directed by james l conway when wesley crusher is condemned to die on an idyllic primitive planet Captain Picard must face breaking the prime directive to save the boy's life. So I found the sex <laughs> from the Netflix fear in sex. <laughs> hey, guys, I've got an idea. We've just found the f- planet. Let's take the kid down. Let's send Wesley. <laughs> I know. What was that? I even have it. I wrote it down. I was like, um, my notes say, let's send Wes to the sexy planet. OK, <laughs> What is that choice? Why? Why? <laughs> I want answers. <laughs> I, I honestly couldn't tell you the the whole opening of that episode where Riker comes onto the um the bridge beaming because he's just come back from his away mission scouting out the planet <laughs> and it's just like how much pussy did he just pull? Right, I know it because I, I don't remember if it was him, but someone's like, "Oh, they certainly are fit" or something, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is happening in this episode?" <laughs> And they're all wearing, like, very skimpy clothes that you can basically almost see their butt cracks. And uh, <laughs> There's a point where you can see the dude's peen. I saw it. <laughs> I, was I did not catch that. Yes, but there's a point where you can see it. He did not tuck well enough. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot uh, to wear but, a dancing belt. But this episode, man, like, I just was like, what is even happening? But I also, on the other side, could see captain kirk here i could see james tiberius kirk on this planet i was like okay so i get it from that perspective well that's why they sent Riker down it's kind of interesting that they don't actually show any of the uh the the crew hooking up like all the hooking up that we see is just being done by between other Edo. like you'll see them like sitting down talking with them and like uh, Deanna will, will give that really cute blush that she gives the entire time every time somebody propositions her. Uh-huh. But it, yeah, it, I mean, it just seemed like it even felt like Riker didn't have sex that entire time that he, like, like he had got all the sex out of the way when he was scouting it out. And here he's just like, no, I'm just going to go for a stroll. Hey, Worf, why haven't you had sex yet? <laughs> well, that transitions me to my point about how we can tell what sexual orientations the characters are by who's sitting with them. So uh-huh. Deanna and Tasha are by. 
they're both okay. five because they have a man and a woman on either side of them. Okay. Um, Worf is straight and he only does sex with Klingons. <laughs> and <laughs> his reasoning, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, maybe Worf is giving me feeling. <laughs> but obviously, Klingons, is Kling- making me Klingons laugh. are into some very uh, intense uh, um, kink as just a regular part of sex. Like, after sex, if you don't need to go to the doctor for lacerations and broken bones, you didn't do it right. <laughs> That's one way to do it, I guess. Um, I, I couldn't tell with Riker, although I did get by vibes because there was a point where he was talking to both a man and a woman on either side of him, just like they arranged Deanna and Tasha. And so I thought mm-hmm. there was a definite push towards these characters are not straight. I love when they beam down and are greeted. And, like, you can tell which of the Edo that the uh, away team beforehand had already had sex with. Had already, yeah. Those long, intimate hugs. Like, the guy who's like, oh, I remember you, Tasha. And the, the hug and the moaning. and the. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they, they, hugs they so get mean. off just from hugging. I, I kind of got that impression. And there was this part of me that was like, is it my American puritanical that's like making me kind of uncomfortable with these long hugs? Because on the other side, I was like, man, that long hug looks really nice. I want to hug Worf. Like, I, I Worf in particular, like he was really enjoying his hug. The Worf and- hug, the way it initiates it, cause she says, and I have this written down, and I welcome this huge one. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I know. I welcome and this he goes, huge one. <laughs> nice planet. <laughs> nice planet. I just have ha 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 written next to that. So are they less hung up about sex? Is that why it was okay for Wesley to come to the planet? Is it that they're less hung up at that point, like in the future about sex than we are in 1987 or whenever this episode was? I did notice that the uh, Ito are they're they're doing it right because like uh, one of the uh, the women says uh, oh, oh nobody does anything that isn't comfortable to them so uh, they you know they're very sexually open but they're very you know they have healthy sexuality the consent yeah. is key and I did enjoy know, the consent because even you know for as old as the episode is I enjoyed that there was a there was a big like you know it's all about consent unless they're gonna kill you yeah we'll we'll, we'll get to that part <laughs> I even like once they've got Wesley off with the kids so that they can have age-appropriate uh, adventures even then Wesley is expecting them to come on to him because she's like, I want you to teach me a game. And he's like, um, I don't think I know that game yet. There are some games I don't quite know yet. Yeah, I know. And his look like I wonder how hard Will had to work on that or if that was just his natural because it almost felt natural, like natural embarrassment of I don't know yet. You know, <laughs> there is an edit of that scene. Where it goes from her, like, I want you to teach me a game. And then, like, they edit it, it's like, um. And then it it just cuts to him describing what a bat is. But they cut out what him saying bat. So it just sounds like he's describing how big his dick is. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Her perm's on point, but they all have really good perms. If you're into perms. Uh, were those wigs? I, I imagine they were wigs. There was a point, I think the main girl was her name, Ravon. I think it was Ravon. Um, she had, hers looks like a wig. <laughs> I think hers is definitely a wig. It looks nice. It yeah. does, yeah. I did notice, and it felt a little weird, how white and blonde everyone was. Yeah, and I got serious. Um, Oh, 
man, the word is escaping my head. But the time machine, the the cow people on the surface, I got serious cow people vibes. Oh, yeah, I know what you're t- from them. I, yeah, they're, they're the people who weren't the Morlocks. Right. The other people. I got yeah. those serious vibes off this and I wondered if it was inspired by that or whatnot. Now, one thing that I think is just really weird in this episode, it's never addressed or explained and it feels like the prime directive was established enough at this point for them to have known better but the edo are a pre-warp civilization i don't even think they have like local space travel because like when they when he beams up the the edo girl she's you know never seen her planet from space before they they're right. very clearly a primitive culture so why are they just talking to them openly like this why are they like oh yeah we're aliens from space we're gonna come here to have sex with everyone so once again the prime directive was a main plot point and i felt like i didn't quite understand what the prime directive was other than you had explained it to me in a previous like it was weird to me they just brought her up there and i know that wesley's life was in danger but he broke the prime directive before he even even ever considered breaking the prime they directive. broke the prime directive as it is established in pretty much every other episode by starting this episode like they mm-hmm. they never would have done this like if this episode was written even like a season later they wouldn't have done this they wouldn't have they might have like uh, beamed down surreptitiously uh, to blend in with the locals to try and get a feel for the planet, but they would have never exposed themselves as an alien uh, visiting species. They would certainly wouldn't have treated this planet as a potential shore leave because the, the, the risk for contaminating uh, a developing culture would be too great. The premise itself is weird, and it could have been easily solved by having them be a warp-capable species that just likes to stay at home. True, but they didn't, but like you said, she had never seen her... Sp- her planet and she was very excited to see her planet from space also the the concept of the Edo god i feel like that was written there solely to have like actual stakes to picard's decision because if the Edo god weren't there then it would have just ended with okay i'm gonna break the prime directive this time we're just gonna beam out because obviously the Edo couldn't stop them but yeah, the Edo god true. could so mm-hmm. he had to convince the Edo god which also felt like really lazy writing like i feel like for a philosophical discussion of justice they didn't do it justice there are like i think basically his speech at the end is literally just uh there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute even life is um uh, uh, itself is an exception and Mm -hmm. That's enough to get the Edo God to be like, okay, I understand why you're breaking your rule this time and you can go. Did you catch that it was the tram problem? At one point, Data even said, do you kill one person to save hundreds or something like that? And so I was like, hey, it's the tram problem because they have to decide whether they're going to sacrifice Wesley and break the prime directive, even though they've already broken the prime directive. Or they're going to, you know, and obviously Jean-Luc isn't going to have Wesley Crusher die on his watch, mm-hmm. right? Like, that was obvious from the beginning. But it did seem very tram problem because do you break the Prime Directive, potentially having this god structure that can scare the crap out of you and, you know, rush on your spaceship and stuff? Like, do you risk pissing that off to save the one person? And I yeah. think Data said one in 100. Like, do you save one person to save 100? But a we're really... A thousand, okay. Because we're really talking about the whole entirety of the Enterprise at this point potentially being destroyed because of their trip to the planet, you know? Like, and so it's, 
But like, Kate, let's back up a little bit and talk about Wesley and whether what he did was wrong, because they're yelling at him. They're like, dude, don't run over there. They're like, stop. You're going towards the new plants. Stop. And he doesn't listen. He also doesn't seem at all remorseful when he crashes into the plants. They're like, oh, no. And he's like, I'm okay. I know. Like, dude, dude, you smashed into a planter. You should be like, oh, crap, I'm sorry. Let me help fix this. Yeah. And instead, he was just like, oh, whatever. It's just new plants. Which was I mean, a, he's a teenager. So maybe he was just a response. Yeah, I exactly. guess that, that that's fine with, with me. It just I don't know. It felt a little weird, to, especially for Wesley, because he doesn't seem like the teenage asshole kind of a person. He seems like he's a very caring individual. and He probably would have felt bad about smashing the plants. Yeah. And then all he cared about was, well, it's just some plants or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you broke the law, which reminded me of in D&D, in, in, there's lawful good, right? And for me, yeah. I've always described when people want to know what the difference between like lawful good is or just, you know, neutral good or whatever. It's you follow the laws of the land that you're in. Like, yeah. so when it, when a paladin who's lawful good goes into a place and the laws there are different than the laws that he abides by he the lawful good part of him is supposed to abide by the laws of the place not the laws of his own personal morals especially if you're lawful good um and wesley just seemed to be like what it doesn't matter i just you know slammed into these plants even though they were yelling at me to stop and that really bothered me it was the first time that like wesley's character made a choice that i thought was weirdly not wesley now i think he did apologize about the plants later but in the moment he didn't seem like that concerned about it at all and what's with not telling beverly up front like they get up there and then the lady says something about the child and then they all do the eyeball thing Right. The three of them, they all do the eyeball thing. She's and like, she's- hey, my kid's about to die. And she, uh, and Picard's like, yeah, in a moment, Beverly, I, I've got, I'm busy right now. Yeah, just a second. I got to figure out what this God thing is. Wesley's fine. Yeah. Like and she and I actually was a little irritated that that Beverly didn't get more angry up front. Like. And what are we going to do about my son? She held it together really well, which is a testament to her character, but also felt a little out of place for a mother whose son is trying to be murdered by an entire planet. I also feel there was a missed opportunity here um, for some Beverly uh, character to development because Picard killed her husband. I mean, he didn't murder him, but uh, uh, wait, what? (laughs) Jack Crusher died under Picard's command on the Stargazer. He brought his body home to beverly and a very young wesley so here once again dr crusher is being faced with this man potentially making a choice that will kill a member of her family and that was something that they could have even a line where she's like we've had this conversation not my son yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's like this is not a situation you want to put yourself in again jean-luc we've been here before and mm-hmm. I forgave you that time. But I won't forgive you again. I mean, most mothers are not going to forgive you for murdering their child. There was one really cool shot, which is not something that I've noticed a lot of in the show yet, because I don't think it's it's that era of TV where we didn't care about cinematography that much. But it comes back from the commercial break and it, it shows God and, 
you know, quote unquote. And then it like pulls in to Jean-Luc and he's sitting there looking out the window at the God figure and his hands are folded in front of him and he looks like he's praying. And I thought it was such a cool, like little like visual nod to the fact that they're basically referring to, I mean, because they're basically talking about our planet now, right? People here on our mm-hmm. planet believe in a God. Would they just, we just, you know, those people who believe in it don't necessarily know what it is. Could it be an alien that's floating out in space? Right. Right. And so I really loved the shot when they, they pulled into where he was like thinking before data comes in and talks to him some more. And he's got his hands folded in front of him. And I thought it was just a great shot. It's interesting. Oh, hey, I found a reason to have carpet on the Enterprise. And it's when alien life forms want to meld with data and he just falls flat on his back. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's an android. I'm pretty sure he's got like a titanium skeleton. So I'm sure he would have survived the fall anyway. <laughs> Probably. But I found a reason. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I love how it goes. Like the little orb just like goes and latches onto his forehead and just like he just falls down with the thing attached to his forehead. And I just imagine the guy who was like, OK, you're the one who has to line up the orb on his forehead every, for every frame. And the guy's like, oh, that's easy. I've got the forehead in frame this because back before they had motion tracking, but it's still right. just like, oh, let's just paint the thing on his forehead every every frame let's talk about their system of justice the every single time you break a law you're put to death i thought that was interesting philosophically like from a philosophical like well no one will break rules if the penalty is strong enough right and in this case it's death and even picard says that they've moved beyond the death penalty and which i believe is the second time they've referenced that because didn't they reference it in the first episode with q that we no longer put people to death because I thought that was interesting because I'm against the death penalty, but not everybody is. And especially not everybody is in 1987 or whatever. So I thought that two references to that was very interesting. And that corporal punishment, or I'm sorry, capital punishment is no longer used in our society, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was interesting. So what do you think about their system of justice? I thought there's only so much you can go into in an hour long drama when they want to tell tell a compelling story and and get get, you know, uh, your requisite uh, 15 minutes of planet in the the system, obviously, from a sociological perspective is bunk. We know that the death penalty is not a deterrent punitive justice does not seem to actually work it doesn't make people better it just makes it just makes people criminals and rehabilitative justice uh restorative justice is uh something that i very much advocate for and the idea that you would have a planet become idyllic because if you step out of line even once you'll be put to death that's a very dystopian view and i think there's potential maybe in like a, a Star Trek Lower Decks episode because Lower Decks does a lot of stuff where they go to planets that were visited in previous seasons and stuff mm-hmm. and expand on that. Do you know what a panopticon is? No. It is a theoretical architectural structure of a prison design in which you have all the cells arranged in like a sphere all open to a central guard tower. And from that guard tower, you can see into every single cell in the prison. But you only have one guard in there. However, the prisoners cannot see into the guard tower, but the guard can Mm. see out. And because of that, because you don't know if you're being watched at any point in time, you have a cop in your head. You are watching yourself the entire time. And it's actually kind of something that we're seeing 
today with the way that online monitoring goes, the way that everything is tracked, the Patriot Act stuff, mm-hmm. the global surveillance, even if you aren't being watched, you're in your mind, you're like, well, I could be being watched right now. Right. And so I don't do the thing that I want to do, even if it's not wrong, but because somebody else might think it's wrong. And it's installing a cop in your brain, basically. Installing a cop in your brain. And it's very dystopian. You wouldn't have a happy, peaceful, sexually positive society evolve. It felt like an oxymoron to me. That's why I asked you. Yeah, I was like, so what do you think about this philosophy? Yeah. (laughs) Now, I'm obviously talking from a human perspective. So, So social science is all based on the human brain and the human psyche. And maybe it just so happens that the Edo have a different psyche that is totally okay with this. And that's maybe a hand wavy way to explain it. Um, mm-hmm. Because, uh, and especially with Star Trek, uh, all the aliens are human, basically. Basically, because um, it's it's because that's what the show is. Just yeah. like Doctor Who, it's a reflection on us as a society. Yes, they're in alien costumes, but it's about the human experience. It, yeah, it's hard to accept the premises laid out by the episode because their system of justice doesn't even work to bring about the outcomes that it that it presents that they do right yeah exactly and how everyone is okay with oh you tripped and you fell and you broke that thing so now you're going to be put to death that's okay they don't have any moral qualms about that like Mm -hmm. that's that shows that they're maybe like that part of their brain is like stunted or maybe the god characters had something to do with that or i don't know but to me it read weird i kept waiting for it to go bad and like but it never did and that kind of bothered me like i said i would love to see like lower decks do a follow-up episode where we find out that actually it's this dystopian hellhole and what uh the enterprise crew were treated to was like those uh, fake North Korean cities where they make everything look okay. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that you step outside the area of where they were like uh, expecting people to be, and, and everyone is a nervous wreck because anything they do at any moment could result in their death. Well, I think that's why it gave me such time machine vibes. Like, this is like the idyllic, like everything's fine up here, blah, 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 but where's the bad part? Where's mm-hmm. the... Where's the the evil that would come from a system like this? You know, I'm with Starfleet and we don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've heard other people uh, mock that one uh, uh, a lot. It's um, it's, it's cute. funny because the- it reminds me of um, if it doesn't exist, then the, or if the planet isn't in the archives, then it doesn't exist from <laughs> Star Wars, where I'm like, man, the Jedi have big egos, you know, like, of course, there's planets you don't know about, you know. Uh, so I have one final note on a planet where everyone is white and wears white. Why are the signposts that say, hey, if you cross this, we'll put you to death. Why are those also white? Oh, that's a good point. Why aren't they some sort of other color? Yeah. Why don't they have the striped caution yellow stuff like we've got? I mean, it doesn't have to look like that, but everything's white. Why would you think that white fence right there means death? That's a good point, because like, yeah, to me, it did just kind of. And when they said there was fences blocking off where you couldn't go, I thought there would be an actual fence, not just some like two inch high thing off the ground that Wesley tripped over. Like Uh there was not. But I guess they felt like they didn't need. But I also don't understand. And this kind of takes us back to the lawful good thing, how they feel that they can really like do they really feel that ethically that they can like force rules that they didn't tell the people 
on like that's so stupid like the morality of it is so bad and so off but yes to mark it with white is just like to me it just i wasn't even sure when he ran for it i was like wait are those the fences they were talking about because those aren't even fences yeah it's weird it's weird I mean, there's a reason we use yellow and we use red because those are colors that grab your attention. And and like you said, in a world where everything is so damn white, why? Why? (laughs) I don't know, but it bothered me. (laughs) Well, the moral of the story is don't bring the kid to the planet. No, don't bring the kid to the planet. Like, man, guys. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at RestBothWorlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash RestOfBothWorlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.